Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. So in 2019, lawmakers passed AB 168, a bill to change the way students are disciplined in our entire state. The goal, restorative justice. But some community members are saying it's not working. Even our governor, Joe Lombardo, recently testified on behalf of a new bill, which would revise AB 168. So how was restorative justice supposed to make our schools more safe? And will any of these bills help? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we'll talk about these bills, bills, bills with Rocio Hernandez, a reporter from the Nevada Independent. It's Tuesday, April 4th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Rocio Hernandez, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. How are you? A little chilly, but happy to be here. Yes, <laughs> understandable. Uh, so uh, we brought you back because we want to dig a bit deeper into this conversation around restorative justice for for the state. What are the actual terms? I feel like we keep throwing the language around, but I feel like I'm still needing to wrap my brain around what does this really mean? So I think one thing that I've been thinking a lot about as I've been doing a lot of these stories about these bills that are attempting to limit or expand schools' ability to discipline students, I think it's important to separate a little bit about like the issue is more on the law Mm. than it is on restorative practices themselves. Because Ah. in general, restorative practices are... And I think I've heard this said from the critics too, they're well-intended. You know, it's an it's an effort to make sure that students aren't necessarily suspended or expelled, especially for like punitive things like, I don't know, talking back to a teacher necessarily, or I don't know, throwing a tantrum in class. So like trying to make sure that the discipline is reasonable and it fits the behavior and it's not going overboard or over the top because what we've seen in Nevada and probably in other states that have been trying to do this kind of effort is that there's a disproportionate rate and expulsions among students of color, primarily Hispanics, uh, Black students. And the data here in Nevada shows that that's absolutely was happening here in the state. And so the 2019 law that's being criticized right now was trying to address those rates here that we're seeing 
and, you know, trying to keep students in school rather than expelling them or suspending them out of school because that you know makes students fall behind academically. And then the greatest worry is pushing them into this so-called school to prison pipeline, this idea that, you know, once a student suffers one of these out of school suspensions or expulsions, that it'll ultimately trigger them into getting into the criminal justice system because now we don't have like these sort of like ways for them to learn from their mistakes. And and now they're just learning all the negative consequences Mm. and like it's snowballing ultimately into them, you know, leading them into other things that, you know, that was not the intention before. So it's, it's really about connecting and holding the students accountable, but not necessarily in formats where it's complete ostracizing the, the student and just saying, okay, well you get the label, you're a bad kid. And so if that's your label henceforth and that's the expectation, how sometimes a student will live up to that expectation. If you keep telling someone this is what you are and treating them that way, it, it exactly. changes their behavior. Exactly. It's a way to like reform their behavior while still keeping them accountable to their behavior. But, you know, trying to teach them that there's another way forward. Obviously, that'll work better in some scenarios than others. For example, you know, you say something mean about a student, you know, you could easily pull those students together, make them have a conversation, you know, have the offending student reflect on their behavior, listening to how those words made the other student feel, and then, you know, try to mitigate that the other way. But I think it becomes a lot more complicated. And the whole reason why we're talking about this issue is when a student attacks and you know, quite violently attacks a teacher or another student, that's when, you know, it becomes a lot harder to try to do these efforts. And that's what a lot of schools are struggling with right now, you know, this increased level of violence, especially coming out of the pandemic. So before there was restorative justice, if two students got into a fight, what would happen to those students? So before 2019, you know, Schools had a lot of latitude on what they could do with the student. There's this thing called progressive discipline. So like, depending on the severity, you know, that that makes the punishment escalate. So, you know, if it's just one punch, let's say, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like, and you add context to that, maybe one student said something foul or had already done something to another student, that student that gets caught doing the punch maybe is just trying to defend themselves or something. Principals or other school administrators could take all of that context into account and let's say, okay, you get uh, detention or you get it written up or, you know, going up to the severity all the way to suspension and expulsion. Hmm. Under the 2019 law, I think it was trying to create accountability and like steps to progress up to the discipline. But more than anything, there's language in that law that says that only students at least 11 years old could be suspended or expelled in certain circumstances. Students that were younger could still be expelled. This law just made it a lot harder to do those suspensions. Like there's a, there's more steps that you have to do before you can suspend or expel someone that's younger than 11. Okay. And, it, and, and it includes a lot of language that places other restrictions on those kinds of suspensions and expulsions. Again, because the lawmakers behind the law were trying to make it so suspensions and expulsions weren't just happening left and right. Like there was more protections for students. And we just talked about restorative justice and we were thinking about it in an ideal world. But I think what we're hearing from students and teachers and parents across the spectrum is that restorative justice is not working. Why do you think people are saying that? Well, We have to go back to 2019. Like I said, there was this effort trying to reduce suspensions and expulsions. 
I think the problem started after the law got passed. That was around summer of 2019. You know, school districts were starting to learn about these laws and how they would have to adjust their discipline standards around this law. And then, you know, a couple months later in March 2020, the pandemic hit. And I think that really stalled a lot of the implementation of the law. And then, you know, the next school year comes around and a lot of schools are either doing all virtual like CCSD was or they're doing hybrid. And so what I've heard from school officials is that during this time, restorative justice was not at the top of their priority list. You know, they were trying to figure out how we're going to educate our students through distance learning, how we're going to adapt to this how are we going to protect our students from COVID? You know, there's also a lot of political tensions throughout this time. You know, George Floyd, the protests, racial reckonings. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of just got pushed and further, further, further behind everyone's minds. So now you come back, school's fully in person. Students are also dealing with a lot of the ramifications of the pandemic, you know, academic learning loss, social and emotional uh, loss during the pandemic, trauma that they've incurred. And schools are now having to deal with that, too. All the while, they're also limited in staff. You know, there's the ongoing teacher shortage. Staff are burned out from everything that they've had to endure during the pandemic. And all of that just complicates into sort of like a perfect storm where now we see student behavior, you know, getting extreme. And you have this restorative justice law that's restricting a little bit of what schools are able to do in terms of suspensions and expulsions. And it all just bubbles up into what we're hearing today in these discussions of these bills. Do you think that AB 168, that that 2019 law for restorative justice, do you think that that law and CCSD's restorative justice policies would have succeeded if the pandemic hadn't come on the heels of its passage? It's hard to say, right? Because one of the things that even if the pandemic hadn't happened that I've heard criticized is that it also didn't come with any funding. So if school districts wanted to do training, that had to come out of their own pockets. And on school funding, you know, I mean, it's a well-known thing that schools are not very adequately funded here in Nevada. So pockets. So I think even if the pandemic hadn't happened, it's quite possible that we'd still see some issues But would it have been to the scale of what we see today? It's hard to know. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there.
I feel like Governor Lombardo is clearly one of those voices. He's come out really, it feels like pretty hard against AB 168. And then he's also stepping onto the scene and making testimonies. But can you explain Governor Lombardo's stance on restorative justice in schools? Well, you know, he says that he also agrees that, you know, it has its good intentions. But, you know, given what we're seeing right now, a lot of fights in schools and not just fights in schools, but like the severity of the fights that we're seeing is not normal anymore. I mean, I remember last school year, there was a lot of videos on social media showing just how severe these fights were getting. I mean, I went to school. You remember there's always been fights at school. So that's not this isn't a new issue. It's just the the level of violence. Mm. That's what's unusual right now. I feel like the use of weapons as well has gone to the next level. And I don't remember teachers in my generation and the schools that I grew up in, teachers being attacked. Like it was really rare. Like talking back was enough for everybody to be like, oh, he cussed out that teacher. And that was that was the drama. But a full-fledged attack or somebody bringing a weapon, that wasn't a thing at, at the level that it is right now to where my nieces are doing these drills for open shooters. Exactly. And I think the intention of Governor Lombardo's bill and the other bills that are being brought up by other lawmakers, like Assemblywoman Angie Taylor, like Assemblywoman Alexis Hansen, they don't necessarily want to get rid of all restorative justice policies altogether. I think what they're trying to do is open up more suspension and expulsion possibilities for schools and giving them that you know, power back again or or restoring some of that, removing some of the teeth that AB 168 had that really restricted those kinds of expulsionary or disciplinary practices. You know, Nevada isn't the only one having these tough conversations on whether discipline should be more strict at schools. I've been seeing that there's other bills in, you know, Nebraska, Florida and Texas, North Carolina, all dealing with similar school safety issues that are also thinking about Bills just like the ones that we have in Nevada that would bring back some of these elements of suspension expulsions. How does Governor Lombardo outline the connection between restorative justice policies and violence in schools? Like, what's his justification there? Well, I think the argument that Governor Lombardo and other proponents of the bills that we're seeing put forward today is that, you know, we're hearing educators themselves tell us that what they're experiencing in in schools after, you know, a student attacks them or another student is that they don't see very many consequences happening to those students. And the critics believe that that's a reaction to AB 168, again, you know, placing these restrictions onto what educators can or cannot do in terms of student discipline. Actually, one of the provisions in Governor Lombardo's bill would bring back what was previously practiced before 2019, um, language that says that if a student commits battery against a school employee, they would be suspended or expelled on first offense and then permanently expelled on a second offense. So that kind of language doesn't really give you any gray areas at all. And that's one of the criticisms that I've heard from Democrats who are also pushing for, you know, bills to scale back the restorative justice law, but not quite to that degree, you know, leaving more leeway, but definitely opening up suspension and expulsion. So when we talk about what Lombardo is, is pushing forward, you know, he's pushing or he's uh, showing up <laughs> for AB 330 and that bill really revises AB 168. So w- what are the other big changes that this bill is proposing? 
Yeah, so actually, you know, we heard from that hearing that Governor Lombardo testified that he ha- is working with other school officials, you know, educators on this bill. So one of the things that they're supporting is um, there's language in the law that says also that a principal can restrict a teacher's ability to temporarily remove a student, a disruptive student, should the principal find that there's cause to restrict a teacher's ability. I know that also got a lot of criticism from from teachers who are also assembly people in the legislature. And so they were criticizing the bill saying, well, you're telling us right now that this bill is intended to give power back to educators, but that kind of language that gives principals more power over teachers seemed counterintuitive to them. Hmm. But I do know that Superintendent Joan Ebert said that, you know, that kind of language is put in there, you know, so there can be, you know, some protection again for students, you know, that way there could be someone like a third party, the principal, you know, that could decide whether the teacher's actions are excessive or not. Right. So it's like if, if you're a teacher and this is just the student who annoys you, who's it just cuts up every time. So in, instead of you being able to just say, OK, here's your referral. Like, I remember those days where there'd be a particular student who would come in and the teacher would already have their referral filled out and be like, hi, yeah, good morning, everybody, and hand that student their referral and be like, go to the office because I'm not dealing with you today. And on some days, it it would bring me some relief because I'd be like, cool, we can get through the day. And other times it's like, dang, you didn't even give that person a chance. And I think when I'm trying to explain restorative justice to people, it's like, I think the point is that you're giving the students a chance before we're completely writing them off. But it's supposed to be a whole plan. <laughs> if it was well, if it was properly funded, then we would get, you know, like it's kind of like a behavioral individualized education plan. So it's a whole list of here are the things that you did. Here are the ways you can make amends. This is what we're looking for in your own behavior. And, and I think maybe the community would understand it better if maybe we showed some sample what what those plans look like so that it's if so that it's not hearsay in the wind the teacher saying well this student gets to keep coming back to my class after they did these disrespectful things it's like no they're not getting off scot-free they have to go to meetings consistently to get their together you know like it's not it's not a simple thing but again it's so complex because you know I think a sample would be fine, but, you know, it, it should be a case by case situation. So For not sure. every plan should look the same. And that's also what makes it really complicated, because if we were all following the same template, it wouldn't put a lot of additional work on these teachers or principals or counselors or whoever is designated to develop these plans. That's a whole nother duty on top of all the duties that they're already expected to do bring up student performance or other disciplinary behaviors or just other things that, you know, is are needed to run the school. Developing these plans takes time away from all those things. And again, schools are already understaffed. And so where do you find the staff who can either help develop these plans or pick up the slack for those who are stuck doing this work? Mm. But Rocio, I know you've been an education reporter on the ground for years now. What are you hearing from families regarding feeling safe in schools? I mean, I know that a lot of families who want to see these bills right now are just concerned about the safety of their students. You know, there are students who have been hurt at school and you'll hear parents say that they didn't feel like the school did enough for their student to protect their student or to stop the offender from recommitting again an offense. 
and mm-hmm. they're they're putting that blame on AB 168, whether it's merited or not. I don't think we know because there's a lot of student privacy laws, but that is the narrative that's out there right now. You know, all the problems about school violence are being put on this law, AB 168. Mm, they're like, oh, this would be happening if we could just suspend the student, uh, if we could just get rid of that kid. So, okay. Have you heard of any other like alternatives that we've seen as a response to violence in schools that that's actually working? Yeah, I was recently talking to an educator, a former principal at Global High School, and what was working for her is kind of a dual re- approach, something proactive and something reactive. So there's this whole idea of teaching a whole child. So you know, like you mentioned, going beyond the academics, you know, looking at their social needs or emotional needs, their mental needs. And so she was talking to me about how at her school, which serves a small population of students who recently immigrated into the country, how they greet their students, they say hello, you know, they check in with them mentally, you know, they see like what other needs they have, you know, if the students need more help with their social skills, they'll provide that to the students have like one-on-one or even group setting meetings with counselors who can teach them those kind of skills. Hmm. So that's getting to the issue proactively before, you know, a problem escalates. And then after the problem does happen, that's when you bring in restorative justice systems, like having them talk things out with their peers or connecting them with counselors again, you know, to try to address the issue after the fact. But those efforts, it to me, it sounded like those efforts worked because they were working in conjunction with each other, you know, happening before the problem and then happening after the problem. And also what I feel like I heard from her is that it worked really well at her school because they were a tight-knit community. Yeah. But once again, what we know is happening at, especially in CCSD, is our schools are overcrowded. Our teachers are overworked. And so it becomes a lot harder to try to do some of these efforts while well-intended when you don't have the staff and you're already spread thin. (sighs) Hopefully we'll get to see some real solutions very, very soon. Rocio, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before you go, here's some news you should know. A bill before the legislature would allow human composting in the state. Basically, bodies are allowed to decompose naturally in controlled environments instead of being buried or cremated. Some states already allow it, and Nevada, which has the nation's highest rate of cremation, is among several considering it. Meanwhile, y'all, we're not tripping about how cold it's been. The National Weather Service says this Vegas winter was among the chillest on record. The official thermometer didn't reach 75 once, and we only had six 70-degree days, the fewest since 1973. It's supposed to warm up a little by the end of the week, but then y'all know what's coming. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. What are your thoughts on school safety? Let us know. Leave us a message at 702-514-0719. Then make sure to share this episode with a friend, rate the show, and leave us a review. Don't forget to subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care.
how do we help the community feel like schools are a safe place to send their children? I think that's something that everyone has to work on together. And it's not necessarily all on the schools either. I think we all have to come work together because we need to get to the root of the problem. And it's not necessarily all in schools. Other people who can help are in addition to parents. Maybe we need more mental health resources, which are very hard to come by, you know, with the shortage also there in those areas. And so it would take a lot of people working on this together because it's not just an issue that's kids come into the school and then all of a sudden, you know, like outside of school, this isn't a problem anymore. 